good morning. I'm Charmaine Jickling, and along with my husband, Glenn, and our three kids, we've been attending TCC for about six years now. Um, and this morning, I'll be reading from Acts 11, verses 19 to 30. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Charmaine. Well, it's good to be together uh, this morning. I thank you for joining us in worship. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Twilliger Community Church, and it's my privilege to be able to uh, open up the Word of God to us this morning. Well, if you wanted to get to know me a little bit more, and you went about it by talking to people who you know know me, you'd likely learn different things from different people. If you went and talked to my almost four-year-old daughter, she would tell you that I'm her dad. And she would tell you that I like, I work hard to keep her safe, hopefully. And she'd probably tell you that I say no a lot. If you went and talked to my wife, she would say that oh, I'm her spouse, her husband. She might describe me to you as her friend. If you went and asked other people in this church about who I am, they might describe to you, well, he's our pastor. Those who are maybe a little bit closer to me might talk to you about how, well, Adam, he's, he's a bit of an introvert. He really likes to eat pizza, and he likes to go for runs a lot. If you looked into my past, uh, I used to live in Three Hills, Alberta. If you went there and asked people about, who is Adam? They would use titles like, well, he's a student. He interned pastors down at Troshu down the road. If you went even farther back to Calgary, people might describe me as a carpenter, as a musician. All sorts of different people would use different descriptive words to tell you who I am. They would use different titles to tell you who I am. And I'm sure if I wanted to learn about who any of you are and went about the same exercise, I would hear various titles as well. People might describe you as a father, as a friend, as a wife, as a spouse. They might describe you as an engineer. They might describe you as a doctor, an accountant, a lawyer, a teacher. 
They might use other attributes to talk about you. Talk about how maybe you're caring and loving. How you're compassionate. How you're someone who is about justice. It doesn't take long to talk with others to learn lots about a person, does it? Well, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. And this morning I want to focus on one verse in Acts chapter 11. That documents a city describing a group of Christians and using a new title to, to do this. This city didn't know what to call this group of Christ followers. They didn't know how to describe this movement that was taking hold of their city. And in Acts, we read this passage. Sorry, I do my own PowerPoint. I totally forgot to pull it up. Are we working here? There it is. And in Acts chapter 11, we read this verse that, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is Luke's first use of the word Christian. It's the first use of the word Christian in all of the Bible. And it's important to note that up to this point, Christians have been described in various different ways. They've been called saints. They've been called disciples. They've been called believers. They've been referred to as the church. They've been called brothers and sisters. They've been called Nazarenes. Yet here in Acts chapter 11, we have the first giving of the name, this title of Christians. These are the Christians. And it's interesting to note that this word Christians only appears two other times in the whole of the New Testament. Yet today, this phrase is likely the most common name that we would use to identify being someone who follows Jesus. We don't necessarily describe ourselves as disciples of Jesus. We don't necessarily describe ourselves as believers or saints. Yet those words are more familiar to our New Testament. This title of Christian that emerges here in Acts chapter 11 has endured 2,000 years. And if someone asked you what religion you were part of, or if someone asked, you know, what, what you believe, you might say, I am a Christian. So what does this name mean to you? Is it simply an affiliation? Is it a box that you check on some sort of form? Is it a name or a title that you wear proudly? Is it part of your life? Or is it just some sort of spiritual part of your life? Is it a title that maybe you're ashamed of? Or is it a title that if someone said, hey, are you a Christian? You wouldn't jump and say yes. You'd say, yes, but what do you mean by Christian, right? Or it needs some sort of qualification before you claim it for yourself. Well, this morning I want to talk about this verse, this name. And I want to talk about what this title of Christian means, why it's important, and how I believe it should actually influence the way that we live our lives. And as I do that, I'll pull on various threads that we have emerging here in our text. I want to talk under three headings. The first is the meaning of the name. The second, the giving of the name. And our third heading will be the bearing of the name. So let's jump into this. The meaning of the name. The name Christian mixes the Greek word for Christ with the Latin ending for a group. So if you were to translate this specifically, uh, or, or if you were to translate it directly, you'd get the phrase, uh, the Christ group, or the people who are about Christ. 
Now, it's interesting, this word Christ, because often in our language, it's become so synonymous with the name of Jesus. We might even think that Christ was Jesus's last name, right? Jesus Christ. Christ is his last name. Um, and well, in the New Testament, we have Christ and Jesus tied together all over the place. You know, we read the Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ or just the Christ in reference to Jesus. Um, Christ is not Jesus's last name. And so we're left to ask the question, well, what does Christ mean? Christ is translated from the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one or the chosen one. And in the Old Testament, we see this idea of being anointed or chosen come up over and over again. Specifically, we see it at work with the choosing of individuals for three different specific offices. We had anointed prophets, so men who were set aside to be mouthpieces of God. So they were anointed as prophets. We see the prophet Elijah anointing the prophet Elisha uh, to do the work of prophetic ministry, speaking God's words to the people. We have the anointed priests. All of the priests were anointed to do their task. They were chosen or set apart uh, specifically to, to work and serve the Lord in the temple. And we also have anointed kings. The kings, beginning with Saul and David, were anointed as a sign of divine choice and approval to rule and lead the people of God in the way of God. So we have this concept of anointing throughout the Old Testament. But as the Old Testament goes on, we see this building around the idea of the Christ or the anointed one. Where in the Old Testament, we had various offices or different groups of people who were anointed for a specific task. The people of God came to anticipate one single anointed one. They came to hope and have a longing or an expectation for the Christ, the Savior, the one who was going to come. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the Old Testament, we see right from the beginning at the fall of humanity, uh, this story began to build. Right in Genesis, we read about this anticipation for this Savior to come and restore people back to their relationship with God. When Moses was leading the people of Israel, we have these glimpses into how one greater than Moses will soon come. When Israel falls into the hands of Babylon and is taken captive, there's this longing and this expectation that grows in the people. They're waiting for someone to come and deliver them from captivity. They're coming, they're waiting for someone to come and restore them back to be the people that God had created them to be. Now this, is, of course, is where Jesus comes in. Jesus was the anticipated anointed one. He was the anticipated prophet, the mouthpiece of God. He was the anticipated priest, the one who was going to reconcile the people to God. He was the anticipated king. The one who is going to come and rule and reign over the people. So saying that Jesus is the Christ is to say that he is the one whom God had sent into the world to bring salvation to the people. He is the one that they were all waiting for. And this is just a small glimpse of all that is packed into this name. When Jesus came onto the scene some 2,000 years ago, he fulfilled the expectation of this Messiah, this anointed one. And that changed everything for those who were waiting for him. We read 
themes of this, like in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, when Peter is getting up and he's preaching, he said that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our Messiah has come. The Christ has come. So what I want to highlight about this name Christ is that in the name Christ is embedded the message of salvation. In the name Christ is embedded the message of salvation. That this reconciling to God, this being brought back into relationship with God, finding salvation and freedom from our sin, being empowered to live the life that we were created to live, is all wrapped up in this idea of Jesus coming And making a way, restoring us back to our created purpose. And all of this is caught up in the name Christ, who is the person of Jesus. Now, I think that this is significant when we consider the setting of our passage, Antioch. Of course, the persecution of Stephen sent the gospel beyond Jerusalem. We've been looking at this the past several weeks. And in Luke's, gospel, in Luke's um, account of the early church, he's been very careful and detailed about what's happening. And last week, Pastor Norb shared with us the story of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And this was mind-blowing to the Jewish people. Now here in Acts chapter 11, Luke is expanding on that. What does this actually look like? We see the Gentiles come to faith in the person and family of Cornelius. But now we have the gospel showing up in Antioch. A pagan city. And in here in Antioch, we have a group, we have, um, we see, sorry, the gospel expanding both culturally and geographically. When Jesus commissioned the disciples saying to preach the gospel, to take it from, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we have here the gospel moving beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The first century historian Josephus called Antioch the third city of the empire. It was a multi-ethnic city and home to several temples and various forms of cult worship and practice. Antioch would have been regarded as highly spiritual. And friends, people are not spiritual for no reason. People are spiritual because they're looking for a savior. And Commentator F.F. Bruce says this about Antioch, that many were trying to find in various mystery cults a divine Lord who could guarantee salvation and immortality to his devotees. They were looking for a savior. They were looking to a solution to their problem of death. They were looking to find the best way of life and they were looking for it in all sorts of cult worship. The Antioch church, though, begins making this claim of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're making a claim that God had sent a chosen one, a savior, the Messiah, the Christ who has come and has offered to the people the exact thing they're looking for. The Christ has come. You're looking for a savior? God sent a savior. You're looking for redemption? God sent redemption. You're looking for a solution to the problem of death? God has made a way. He has sent his Messiah. His name is Jesus. Friends, when I reflect on this, I can't help but think that the setting of Antioch is really not that different than our own. People are looking for a Savior. People are looking for a Savior. They might say they don't even believe in God, but 
when we look at the longing in humanity for purpose, the longing to belong, the longing to feel secure, the longing that we have to be at peace with ourselves, to be at peace with one another. We see that people are looking to experience the fullness of life and any means that they use to get there, I believe we could call it a sal- uh, we believe, I believe we can call it a savior. In Christian theology, we, we study the doctrine of salvation. We call it soteriology. And I think when we look into the world, we see all sorts of different types of soteriology. All these different understandings of salvation. How do I deal with my problems? How do I deal with these issues in my life? How do I find purpose and belonging and meaning? How do I make a difference in a world? They search for salvation in so many places. So friends, this name Christian that we bear, within this name is embedded a message of salvation. Salvation is available. Salvation has come. Let me talk about the giving of this name. Now Luke is not explicit to us as to why the people of Antioch called the Christians Christians. Uh, Some commentators speculate that the term was maybe a light joke based on the culture of Antioch, that it was kind of a, a funny way of saying, oh, those little Jesus people, those little Christ people, we'll call them Christians. Uh, there was a group in, in Antioch called the Herodians, which were kind of these Herod cheerleaders. And so maybe they, they said, well, we have the Herodians over here, and now the Christians over there. We don't know. So I speculate in part, but this is what hits me. The Antioch church was not called Christians because they asked to be called Christians. They were called Christians because those looking at them from the outside identified them who were, identified them as people who were about the gospel of Jesus. The Antioch church did not one day wake up and say, what should we call ourselves? What would be a great club name? What what should we tell people that we are? No, it was the world around them looking in, seeing the way that they lived their lives, seeing the way that they talked, seeing the things that they did, and gave them the name Christian. Friends, the story of Acts chapter 11 is amazing. We have an unnamed missionaries at the beginning of of this passage, heading to an unlikely city, to an unlikely group of people, And these unlikely people receive the gospel by the words of these unnamed missionaries. Jerusalem hears about it, so there's quite a stir. So they send a representative. Barnabas comes. He sees what's going on. He doesn't offer correction. Instead, he calls them to faithfulness, which is to say, keep doing what you're doing. And they committed themselves to the practice of community and receiving the teaching of the word. And as these people engaged in community and sitting under the teaching of the word, applying it to their lives, living out the gospel, they were called Christians. Which begs me to ask the question of us and of myself. If someone was looking at your life, what would they call you? If someone was looking at your life, what would they call you? My family was recently at a a family camp out in Kelowna and we're really enjoying our time there and I was incredibly blessed by our speaker uh, who was ministering to us at the camp that week. 
And he had an emphasis on this idea that the story you live in is the story you live out. The story you live in is the story you live out. So let's say that the story you live in is that happiness is tied to prosperity. So if I am prosperous, then I will be happy. That is the story that I live in. That is my worldview. That is my understanding. So the way that I live out when I'm when things are good and, and I have money coming in and I'm experiencing prosperity, I'm happy. In a climate where things are economically uncertain and, and things are questionable, my happiness is, is questioned, right? It's threatened. So I might be walking around with anxiety and, and wondering, will I be okay? Will I experience prosperity? Will I maintain my happiness? The story that you live in is the story that you live out. And there are a lot of alternative stories out there. There are a lot of alternative invitations to salvation. Be that through wealth. Be that through power. Be that through influence or making a name for yourself. Be that through various experiences or sexual expressions. We live in this tension of, well, if I can just experience, have, or achieve this, that, or the other thing, then I will be happy. Then I will be okay. But when we live out When we live in and believe these stories, we live out of them. Friends, I believe that as we live out the story of the gospel, that our purpose, our sense of belonging, our satisfaction, our peace, and our joy are found in the person of Jesus Christ. When we live out the story of the Christ having come and brings redemption to our lives, when we live out that story, We have the peace that passes understanding. We have the joy that cannot be explained. And as we live out of that story, the world around us looks at us and says, Are you a Christian? I see that story you're living out. You know, everyone around me is freaking out. You're not freaking out. Can you tell me why? There's a lot of questions, doubts, and fears in in my life. But you don't seem to have questions, doubts, and fears the same way that I do. Can Can you give me insight to that? Friends, as we live out the story of the gospel, people will see Jesus in us. I believe that. That's what happened in Antioch. Last, I want to speak on the bearing of the name. The bearing of the name. Friends, we need to see that being called a Christian, we're we're carrying the name of Christ. Which is to say we're carrying Jesus. We need to recognize the gift of bearing this name. It is a huge gift. Calling ourselves Christians, embracing that title, is recognizing that God has given us himself in the person of Jesus. Friends, that God would allow us to be associated with him through this name is a gift. It is a grace. And we wear the name Christian by grace alone. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've entered into relationship with Him, you are now one with Him according to Scripture. And there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from that. So you sin, so you misstep, so you make a mistake. You don't lose the title. But God has graced us with the name of Jesus. 
Part of what it means to be Christian means that we have accepted that Christ alone is our Savior. It means that as we go about our lives, we don't look to alternative stories of salvation. We don't look to ourselves for salvation. We don't have to freak out about how we are going to feel okay, but rather we lay down our own working of salvation. We lay down our searching for salvation in other places and we instead receive what God has to offer us in the person of Jesus. We accept the work of the anticipated Messiah, Jesus. So it's a life of surrender. And for those who claim this title, it means that we are a people who have received the saving work of God in Jesus Christ. Do you see how this title of Christian is so much more than an affiliation? It's so much more than simply a statement of what we might believe. Rather, it is an expression of a lived reality. That we believe God has offered salvation through his son and we have received it and we are living in and out of it. That is what it means to bear the name of Christian. We recognize too as we bear this name that we represent Jesus and the gospel in this world. As Jesus fulfilled the anticipation of the Christ, we not only carry his name, but we continue on in his work. And I love the connection we have here to the anointed um, offices that we read about in the Old Testament, a prophet, priest, and king. Because as Jesus came and proclaimed the word of God, so we, his church, his people, continue to proclaim his word. As Jesus came as the priest representing God to the world and mediating for them, so we too point people to Jesus as the expected priest. As Jesus came as the anointed king, we live as people of another kingdom. And we represent his name in the world. But we recognize that as we do this, sometimes it comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. In Acts chapter 11, we're reading about this expansion of the church. And it's a glorious thing to read about. It's exciting. But we recognize that as we turn the page to chapter 12, Luke tells us the story of opposition. This opposition isn't happening specifically in Antioch, but we see the church being persecuted. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Acts chapter 12, verse 1. We read that about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Bearing the name of Jesus comes with a cost. And when we read this chapter, you know, we wrestle through the tension of how James is killed. But if you read the story of Peter, I don't have time to get into it, but I encourage you maybe to read it this afternoon. Peter is arrested. The assumption is that he too was going to be beheaded. But then an angel shows up in his cell and frees him from prison. And Peter is is able to escape uh, from from that situation. So we wrestle with the tension of James who was killed and Peter who escaped. But we still see the hand of God protecting his people. Preserving his people. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 16 we read that if any suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed 
but let him glorify God in that name. This is one of the three references to the name Christian uh, in, in Scripture. So Acts tells us about all this opposition, and, and perhaps you have experienced opposition in your own workplace or with your own family. And we need not only look at the history of the church in Acts, but we can look across the world and see how Christians today are still persecuted. But I love what John Stott says, um, this sermon, no Acts sermon I guess here at TCC is complete without a quote from John Stott. He talks about the agenda of the earthly authorities could never stop the outworking of the will of God. So we trust God to deliver and to redeem We trust God to ultimately work out his purposes, even if his purposes um, are maybe slightly different than what we would consider the desirable outcome. So friends, this morning, my hope is that you're encouraged about this name of Jesus, this name, this title of Christian, a name that is so much more than simply a title that we use to affiliate with one another, but one that within it is packed This whole idea of salvation. That as Christians, we live a different way. We live out of a different story than the world around us. And my prayer is that as we live out that story, the world around us would look at us and see Jesus. My encouragement for us this morning is to echo what Barnabas says in verse 23 of this passage. And when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. In the midst of opposition, in the midst, in and out of good seasons, my prayer for us as a church is that we would remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So perhaps this morning you're compelled uh, by this saving story of Jesus. I don't know how all of this hits you when you think about the name Christian and unpacking uh, this simple verse here in Acts chapter 11. And there's a lot to it. And again, maybe you're sitting this morning hearing this and you're like, I never thought of it that way. I know I hadn't. And if I'm honest, this small verse out of chapter 11 of Acts kind of hits me in the face. When I consider this idea of, man, this early church, people looked in from the outside and they saw in this community that they were the, they were the Christ people. <laughs> they were the Christ group. These people were about Jesus and so they were given that name. My prayer is that as people watch my life, they also would see that story of Jesus being lived out. But what this passage does for me and hopefully for you is it makes me mindful of how I might be living out of different salvation stories. We all face that temptation day in and day out. We are bombarded throughout the week of different narratives, of different stories of salvation that our culture is trying to offer us. May we be faithful. May we remember that salvation is found in Jesus alone. And may we bear that name of Christian faithfully. I invite the worship team to come join me on the platform. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father God, we thank you for verses throughout Scripture that maybe 
just jump out and hit us. And this morning, Lord, I feel challenged by this verse. Lord, that Christians were not called Christians because they decided that this would be a great name for their group. But rather that those who are looking at them from the outside looked at them and, and said, these people are about Christ. What should we call them? Well, they're Christians. And Lord, we know that bearing your name oftentimes comes with challenge. Be that the challenge to live by different narratives of salvation. Be that the challenge of facing persecution and opposition for bearing the name of Christian. But Lord, my prayer for us this morning is that we would press into your salvation story. Lord, whatever temptations we might be facing these days. Lord, perhaps there's alternative salvation stories that are looking very attractive. Jesus, would you fix our eyes upon you? Help us to see the beauty in the name Christ Jesus. And Lord, as we see that beauty, may we be captivated by it and changed by it. Lord, may we remember that there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Let that encourage our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.